Good morning. Good morning. Uh, today, it's my pleasure to introduce to you guys uh, Andrew Fellows. He did speak to us um, yesterday in chapel, but uh, just a brief introduction. He is the chair um, of Labrie International. He also serves as the director of Christian Heritage, which is um, a campus ministry sim similar to Labrie um, in Cambridge, England. Uh, last night, I had the opportunity to converse a bit with him, and I quickly realized he's a very intelligent and wise man. So it would benefit you to pay close attention to every single word he has to say. So without further ado, Andrew Fellows. Thank you, Jace. I, liked, I think I enjoyed that introduction a little bit too much. I apologize. I repent. Good morning. Good to see you again. I've enjoyed my first day here and conversations with a few of you, and I hope we can have some more. This morning, I want us to think about time and how we function within time. The Lord has given to all of us bodies. I can see lots of bodies out there this morning. And all of our experience is embodied experience. And being embodied gives us a very unique and special relationship to both space and time. So in your bodies, you have a relationship to a specific place. At this moment where you happen to be sitting, the square foot, or at my point, the square two feet that we happen to take up. And then in our bodies, we also have a relationship to time. You know, one of the most basic and most essential realities that mark us at any given moment is this. I am here in this space, and it is now. That's one of the most profound things you can say about yourself at any given moment. I am here, and it is now. This is what I call the sacrament of the present. And it's what our experience of reality offers up to us moment by moment. So I am here and it is now is what is given to you in the present moment. Now all of us are gifted by the Lord with a consciousness of time that's divided into the past, the present, and the future. Philosophers call this time's order. And the point I want to emphasize this morning is this. The only place in time that you concretely occupy is the now, the present. That's all you have. That's the only point that you're engaged with the real. You only have experience in the now. So you think about the past as part of your relationship to time. That is over and done with. The only way you connect to the past is through your memory. And the future, which is possibility, hasn't yet materialized. So the present is very, very important. So we have this consciousness within time that enables me to reach into the past through memory. And I have possibilities that relate me to the future. And memory and possibility occur as a form of mental awareness in the present moment. But all I have in terms of embodiment is the present. And that makes the present moment very significant. 
So the fact that God has created us to be embodied creatures reflects the importance of the now, the present. And he intended us always to be deeply engaged with presentness. Now, with that little introduction, my assertion this morning is that modern people rarely enter the present. And we could look at lots of cultural reasons for why that's true of us as moderns. There's good argument, I think, for making the case that moderns tend to be very future-focused. And we're so focused to the future and possibility that we don't enter the present. We tend to live in possibility. Now, I'm not going to go down the cultural route this morning. My line is more theologically based. So I want to give a theological reason for why we get displaced from the present moment where real life happens. And what I want to do is briefly introduce you to the subject of idolatry and show you how our idols displace us in terms of our our, our relationship to time. Idols, which we all have structured into our lives, push our experience in time off kilter. So we either get stuck in the past or stuck in the future, and we fail to fully live in the present. Now, you guys should know, I think, that anything in God's creation can function as an idol, can function as a God substitute. And every idol is actually something that has a legitimate place, in God's original design, which is lifted or moved to an illegitimate place. And we bestow on our idols an absolute value. We invest them with infinite value, and we treat them as our God substitutes. And all of our idols, whatever they are, and they can be all manner of things, we trust our idols to work for us. We really, really believe in our idols. So how do our idols negatively impact our relationship to time? How do they knock us out of a healthy relationship to the present? Well, firstly, how idols negatively impact our relationship to the past. Each of us has a relationship to our past. We have no choice but to live with what is in our past. And unlike our futures, which haven't yet materialized, the past is over and done with. And we relate to our past through layers of memory. And when we reach into our past through the layers of our memories and recall the failure of one of our idols, we fall into shame. So we go into the past, relate to the failure of an idol, and that creates shame. Now, not all shame is related to our idols, but much of it is. So let's give an example. I'm lying in bed and I recall something incredibly inappropriate that I said to someone that day, usually humorous, and I think, I cannot believe I said that to that person. And sometimes I groan, and Helen says, what are you groaning for? And I think, oh. It's the memory of what was in the past, an inappropriate comment that I said to someone else. Now, why did I groan with shame? Well, because one of the idols I've structured into my life is that I use my words intelligently to bless other people. And the fact that this idol failed me is a matter of deep shame to me. And my idol has been exposed as inadequate. What I trusted to work for me, that I use my words intelligently and helpfully, has let me down, and the inadequacy of shame envelops me. Or it could be something like this. Your idol is to be the very best. And you didn't get chosen to be your class valedictorian. 
Nothing less than the best would do for you, but you didn't make it to the top. So when you go back into your past and remember that you were overlooked for the top prize, it's a matter of shame for you. This idol failed you. It let you down. It simply couldn't bear the weight of your expectation. And with that, shame descends. All sorts of things in our past that leads to shame. Sometimes it's our parents who shamed us in the past. Our idol was be, to be a cool kid. And my kids would say, and dad, what his wardrobe just shamed me. I couldn't be cool around my dad. It's, they fell into shame. So we trusted an idol to deliver the goods and it didn't happen. And as we reach into the past through memory, the memory of that mires us in shame. And the point is that shame locks us into the past. The shadow of these past failures hangs over us and we get stuck and fixed and rooted in the past. Then let's think about how our idols negatively impact our relationship to the future. As I stand here in the present, I face the future as multiple possibility, and so do you. Any number of things are possible in terms of our experience. And these possibilities in the future are largely beyond our control. So tomorrow, it's just possible that I'm in a place where there's an act, a, a massive act of terrorism. Or it's just possible that, that, that a, an airliner lands on top of this mountain and happens to hit this college. We don't know the possibilities of the future. That's the point. And as we look at all possibilities in the future, we are very vulnerable. We simply don't know how things are going to play out. So as we look ahead and we anticipate a future possibility that leaves one of our idols vulnerable, we fall into anxiety. So let's say health is one of the idols you've built into your life. Staying fit and healthy is something you commit to as an absolute. You're going to be invulnerable to weakness, and you invest heavily in this in terms of exercise and food. Now, when this idol is in your life, you make yourself incredibly vulnerable to anxiety because every time you feel a tightness in your chest, you begin to worry that you have some kind of heart condition. If there's a drop in your energy, you wonder, do I have cancer? And at such moments, the idol of health doesn't seem so absolute and infinite. It looks very vulnerable. So that plunges you into anxiety and worry. What you trusted in is exposed as inadequate. The same could be true of a relationship. You stake everything in the person you're going out with. You've invested the relationship with an absolute value. So every time your girl doesn't reply to your text within 30 seconds, you go into anxiety. She's cheating on me. She doesn't like me anymore. And that begins to take you over. You keep thinking of a future possibility when she's not going to be yours. She's going to drop you and that cripples you. So whenever you look ahead and see one of your idols threatened by some future possibility, you move into the worry mode. And that anxiety gets you stuck in the future. You keep envisioning the worst. So your idol traps you into an anxiety as you become obsessed with the future and worry what might occur if your idol lets you down. How do our idols negatively impact our relationship to the present? So you see, they impact our relationship to time in bad ways. What about the present? 
Well, because our idols are constantly drawing us either to the worry of the future, a possibility that hasn't yet materialized, or to the shame of a past actuality, our experience within the present gets badly displaced. So the energy of worry preoccupies me with the future, or the energy of shame preoccupies me with the past. So that means that we get stuck in either the past or the future, and we don't live in the present. Now that is serious because the only place we concretely exist is in the present moment. And that means that if we're stuck in either the future or the past, our existence becomes diminished. And that's what it's like for so many. We're not present to the present because we're stuck in the future or we're stuck in the past. And that means we're not in the real world. We're lost in the past or lost in the future, mired in shame or anxiety. Now, thankfully, and this is something we should be so thankful for, the real world, the real world of the present moment is strong enough to pull us in. We can't totally escape. C.S. Lewis said, reality is iconoclastic. It breaks down our idols and it pushes in. We can't avoid it. And this is one of the ways that common grace functions. functions. We can't entirely avoid reality, which means we can't entirely avoid the present. So this is always offered to us, moment by moment, in the now, the present. Now, when we're pulled into the present, we're also vulnerable to our idols. And when we enter the present and our idols are failing, we fall into a state of boredom. Boredom is the experience of of experiencing emptiness. My definition of boredom is to be annoyed with the present. You're annoyed with it because it's not delivering. It's not delivering what, what, what my expectation wants it to deliver. My idols are letting me down. So if your idol is the company of people, which is a great thing, but if that's your idolatry, You have to have the stimulation of company and conversation and noise. This is something you trust to work for you. It means that whenever you're alone, you're vulnerable to boredom, to being annoyed with the present. And I believe this is the age of boredom, when the present moment so often offers up only emptiness. So my point is this, our idols create havoc in terms of our relationship to time. And I think often we underestimate the destructive capabilities of our idols. So something that messes with our relationship to time so badly needs to be taken seriously. So the question is this, what can put us back into a healthy relationship with time? And you say, I think I know what you're gonna say, Jesus. And, And you're right, he is the answer to everything. You've heard the story, kid in Sunday school class, and the Sunday school teacher holds up a picture and says, okay, kids, what's this? Nobody answers. Teacher gets a bit frustrated. Come on, what's this? And one of the kids puts up his hands, looks a bit embarrassed. He says, I know it's Jesus, but that picture sure looks like a squirrel. And that's the point. Jesus is the answer to to everything. And Jesus is the answer, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ is the answer to the problem of our idolatry and how it messes our relationship to time. How does it work? 
Well, let's look firstly at the power of the gospel in terms of reorienting, reconfiguring our relationship to the past. On the basis of the finished work of Jesus Christ, we are now freed to go into the past through the layers of our memory and to face it without shame. Jesus is truly the Lord of the universe, and we can now invest in him what we used to invest in our idols. So he is the infinite personal creator. He can bear our expectations and the weight of them. He can bear the weight of our longings. And the gospel says that by means of his shed blood, all the guilt, all the shame is covered. All the sin, the failure, the inadequacy, it's covered over. And this is the confidence by which we can move to the past through our memories. We're forgiven. It's all covered. And that means we don't have to get stuck there. Shame is an energy that gets us stuck in the past. We can go to, the, to our, our past, to our, our memories, and not get stuck because no longer does shame function. So we can engage memory without the paralyzing energy of shame. And it's interesting, psychology has highlighted how healthy memory actually enhances present experience. You smell a cookie somewhere beyond your house, away from your house, and it reminds you of your grandmother's house. The smell there enhances memory. We need memory to engage the present in a, in a, in a healthy way. So what we trusted as, as an, our idol, which didn't uh, f- uh, deliver the goods, that leaves us mired in shame. And Jesus shed blood, we don't need to be stuck there anymore. What about the power of the gospel in terms of reorienting, reconfiguring our relationship to the future? Well, the fact is, in Christ, we are totally secure. That's the power of his resurrection life. We have a stability in him, which is an eternal stability. So the Bible says not even death, which is the greatest threat in terms of possibility for the future, not even that threatens our stability. So this security is our freedom to look at future possibilities without being paralyzed by anxiety. So there they are in front of us, an almost infinite number of possibilities, and most of them are threatening and foreboding. They're beyond our control. There's contingencies in the future we don't even know about. And the point is, all this future possibility can be faced without crippling anxiety. And I say this with compassion, I have kids your age. Anxiety is the contagion of your generation. The contagion. The future is very frightening. And we need to find and refine again the stability of being united to Christ, of being secured in Him. Here's a relationship that, that secures us for all the unknown possibilities of the future. We are bound to the one who has the whole world in His hands. And unlike our idols, which are so finite and vulnerable, he is invulnerable as the Lord of the universe, the creator of all. And here I love the words of Paul as he finishes off a section of Romans, the end of Romans 8. He says, I'm convinced that neither death, there's a possibility, nor life, lots of possibilities in life which are threatening, neither angels or demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any power, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We can face the future, all the threats, 
death, life, and all of creation in the security of being loved by Jesus Christ. Then what about the power of the gospel in terms of reconfiguring our relationship to the present? Well, here's the point. Connected to Jesus Christ, we have a freedom now to embrace both the past and the future without shame and without anxiety. And that frees us up to live in the present moment. We're not stuck in the energy of these two emotions, past, future. We're freed up now. And that means we can become rooted in the present moment. The present being a, I am here and it is now. So we can experience the fullness of reality, or begin to experience the fullness of reality that's delivered to us on a moment-by-moment basis. And of course, in this fullness is a brokenness, there's pain, there's lots of corruption. But the fact is, the reality that we're connected to in Christ is not an empty one. In Him, there's a fullness of reality, there's a fullness of meaning. We live in a universe where there's multiple layers of meanings. And if we stand in the present, we can begin to uncover some of these and receive them. So a life in Christ enables us to live into the meanings. And that is actually our freedom as believers to affirm life, to affirm real life, present-focused life. No longer do we have to grasp the present to try and extract something for ourselves. No, in Christ we're free now to receive the gifts of the present moment, the gifts of life, the gifts of meaning. And that means boredom can be replaced with fullness. And I believe the key to entering fully the present moment is to stand in gratitude. Some of the things about the Christian life that irritate me the most is that it's so basic, it's so simple. Thanksgiving is the foundation of a healthy Christian life. And gratitude and thanksgiving is simply moment by moment receiving the gifts. They keep flowing. We keep saying thank you. And as we stay, say thank you, we're rooted in the present. This is the gift of the now. And suddenly thousands of these gifts begin to open up. The sights, the sounds, the smells, there's infinite layers of meaning. And we open our senses to them. So I believe as we reach out and accept the gifts of the present moment with thanksgiving, we become more and more rooted in the present. And these gifts, I believe, are sacramental because they're rooted in the goodness of God. So we receive them as they flow to us in each moment of time. And with each response of gratitude, we become grounded in the present, the point where real life occurs. So that's part of the fullness of life that Jesus offers us, to be fully in the present, to receive the gifts, not stuck in the future which hadn't yet come, not stuck in the past that's over and done with, to be in the present, in the present moment. We should be those who know what the present moment is, live in it, and stand thankfully in it before Christ. Let's pray together. We thank you. Father, for the fullness of life which you offer us in your Son. We thank you for creation that is layered with multiple meanings, more than we can fully appreciate. And we ask for each other that you would help us in the power of the gospel to live more present-focused in terms of how you have made us to be in a place and in a time simultaneously. And we pray that from there we would be a light to the world. So, Lord, free us from our anxieties, which cripple us so easily. 
Free us from our shame, and we pray that you would free us from our boredom so we would enter more the fullness of what we have in you. And we ask this in your most precious name. Amen. Please stand to sing the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise to all creatures here below. Praise to all the creatures here below. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Go in peace.